The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Though His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In the following series of episodes, we are going to undertake a study regarding eschatology. Now, just so we understand, eschatology is basically the study of when God is going to do a particular thing in history, in specific, his redemptive history. It asks the question, when is something going to happen? More specifically, when we apply the question as to what we're talking about, we are generally and most often talking about the soon return of Jesus Christ, either his rapture of the church, his second coming, the period of time known as the Great Tribulation or God's Wrath, or Jesus' second return as King of Kings and Lord is Lord with his reign as Messiah for a thousand years. 
So one of those or all of those are going to be subject matter that comprise the discussion and topic of eschatology and our question of when, either in general or in specific, those things are going to happen if, in fact, God has revealed them to us. Now, this indeed is not the first time that anyone has taken up this subject matter. In fact, this subject matter has been the hot topic of discussion ever since Jesus ascended to the Father and said that he would return for his elect. And since that time, for 2,000 years, earnest Christians from all over the world have attempted to look at God's word and to attempt to ascertain through his revelation from cover to cover to answer the question as to when will these things happen. Indeed, classically speaking, among the uh, prophecy conference topics that would be included for this discussion, the scholars and experts would clearly defer to uh, the entire Bible, certainly, but in more specifically to usually Daniel chapter 9 through 12, or Ezekiel, or Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, or Luke chapter 21, all of which uh, are discussing what's referred to as the Olivet Discourse given by Jesus concerning the disciples' question of when things would happen. Uh, subject matter found in First and Second Thessalonians regarding the uh, return of Christ, which we've already discussed uh, in both uh, books. And then finally, and certainly uh, the entirety of the book of Revelation, which is concerning the end times. So over the last 2,000 years, there have has been a virtual library of books, periodicals, articles, uh, podcasts, sermons, and so forth, which has attempted to address this issue in part or in whole from one of many different perspectives. In this study, as a disclaimer, and as is our habit, uh, we're going to undertake the matter using a, a proper hermeneutical and exegetical principles identifying and understanding and attempting to harmonize the various books that we've just discussed along with other subject matter and elsewhere and using the clearest and most cohesive method of looking at the Bible, uh, both Jewish and rabbinic uh, history, culture, and literature, and in keeping ultimately with a Brian attitude of the Reformation, whose principal idea was sola scriptura. Uh, we certainly want to recognize that uh, as a uh, concept, as we look at the entirety of God's Word, that it's clear that God uses the mechanism of progressive revelation of this plan of redemption and his particulars of uh, who, what, when, and where of the plan. So, as we look at God's word, from the outset, we see that 
uh, many of the difficulties that are typically uh, uh, found in this subject matter can be avoided by remembering that the Bible is not, nor does it pretend to be, the equivalent of a medical or metaphysical dictionary. God didn't deliver the entirety of his revelation in a dump truck in Genesis chapter 1. Instead, God's message is revealed progressively through various writers and various books from cover to cover in order to ultimately give to those with discernment uh, using the rules at hand, uh, an answer to uh, God's redemptive history and the question of when he's going to do something. And again, by disclaimer, we're going to admit that we have priori biases and assumptions just like the atheist, the agnostic, and the secular humanist. The difference is in what those priori biases and assumptions are. For the atheist, agnostic, and secular humanist, they assume that man is the center and ultimate measure of all things, whereas we, as born from above believers, assume that the God of Scripture is the center and ultimate measure of all things. Further, I think it's fair to say that by disclaimer that in looking at this study, that the study of eschatology uh, is a presentation that we will find ourselves guided by the following presuppositions. Number one, all of Scripture is essentially Jewish in character. Therefore, Scripture will only fully be understood through a realization and appreciation of its Hebrew roots, culture, and history. Two, God, who knows the end from the beginning, has revealed to all of his people all that they need to know about his redemptive plan so that they can be prepared for it and act and react in the way in which God has intended that they should. Three, the focus of his redemptive plan is Jesus Christ. He has clearly revealed himself throughout scripture describing the sweet sequence of events ordained for accomplishing his redemptive work. Fourthly, this revelation began immediately at the fall in Genesis and continued progressively in the history of the Jewish people as recorded in the Bible with its various cultural and historical distinctives such as the subject matter that we will be discussing at large in this uh, series. Five, in keeping with God's focus, Christ, and the subject matter that we will be discussing, prophetically speak about the chronology of the first and second coming of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And finally, six, the church is intended to educate itself and to understand and to be prepared and faithfully proclaim God's revelation regarding these issues. Now you may be asking yourself, well, you just said that there are many books and 
uh, other materials regarding the issue of eschatology. And it's been, as you admittedly said, a topic which has been undertaken for the last 2,000 years. So what is different about this one in particular that you're presenting? Well, the answer to that is this. Uh, sadly and truthfully, the average modern Christian in today's church, wherever you may go, has in fact lost touch with its Jewish roots. Most, if not all, of the culture, customs, traditions, history, habits, and idioms are foreign to the understanding of the modern church. Consequently, oftentimes, various aspects of the Bible, as we look at the New Testament, uh, with its hermeneutics, which guide a fuller exegesis of soteriology and eschatology, are either absent or replaced by other interpretations which are uh, without a foundation of its roots in its Jewish history and culture. Now, you ask, well, how did that happen if that's true? Well, what happened was that from the latter half of the first century, where we read even in the epistles of Paul and so forth, through the second and third century, that we can see a clear historical description and demonstration of a growing and increasing antagonism between Judaism and Christianity. We can see that by an attempt to replace the legalism of the Old Testament, which was supposed to be a schoolmaster leading one to Christ, that oftentimes there was such an, a, an aversion and abandonment of all that was Jewish that they soon no longer wanted anything to do with that which was Jewish, that which was Old Testament. What was happening, in fact, was we see that in that time period from the uh, 3rd century in particular and the 4th century, we saw a formal disconnect between Christianity and the Jewish roots we saw replacement theology and successionism where the church became the uh, replacement of Israel and, and the Jewish nation. And the Jewish nation was supposedly now abandoned by God, where in reality, God had not abandoned his people, but in fact had given opportunity to the Gentiles to become grafted in and part of God's people. So we saw, for example, that this the fallacies of replacement theology and animosity towards Judaism continued in the 4th century into the Reformation with the Emperor Constantine's uh, oversight and ratification in the First Council of Nicaea, where they were giving directives to abandon all that was Jewish and preferring all that was exclusively Christian. This animosity continued in the Reformation, leading to a very dark chapter in history where the uh, uh, animosity ultimately became the basis of anti-Semitism, which uh, surfaced in its various manifestations and various 
eras of our history, some of which are, are very famous to us, but ultimately, consciously or unconsciously, this baggage of replacement theology and supersession as a, as a choice on the part of the modern church uh, became the basis by which we ignore or dismiss Jewish and rabbinic culture as irrelevant. And we lost those understandings of those things. And as a result, moving forward and looking at the New Testament, which was Jewish, written by Jews, the modern church has no understanding of what they're talking about. And thus, they uh, interpret eschatology as something very different, very foreign, and frankly, very incorrect in very many uh, cases. So again, eschatology is our subject matter. And eschatology is the question of when something's going to happen. And the subject matter of the when is the rapture, Christ's return, the great tribulation, and ultimately uh, Christ's final return as King of kings and Lord of lords. These are all the subject matter which encompass eschatology and the issue of when that everybody wants to know as a Christian. So, since we're asking a question of timing and when, it behooves us to have effectively what we would call a correct ruler in order to measure these issues. What ruler do we use when we talk about when? So, the first subject is to, that we need to discuss is to establish this ruler, this measuring tape, if you will, of when. And it must be recognized that when we ask the question when, that we cannot uh, measure things according to modern Western European standards. We have to go back to the original concept that God was trying to reveal, which was through a Hebrew or a Jewish measuring ruling tape. Without that, we will be lost no matter what we add to it. So, when we start at the beginning, we understand that time is always measured first and foremost by day, hour, week, month, and year. Those are the basis by which we measure when something's going to happen. So let's look at firstly the concept of the word day, which in Hebrew is the word yom. Genesis 1.5 sets the standard for the definition of a Jewish, Hebraic, biblical day. It says there, quote, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day, unquote. So as a result, from Genesis 1-5 to Jesus' day and beyond until today, whenever we discuss eschatology and timing, uh, whenever we're talking about a day, uh, we're talking about a Jewish day, which begins at evening, generally at around 6 p.m., or when the first three stars are visible in the twilight sky, 
and continuing for 24 hours until the following day at evening, again, when the three stars are visible in the sky. So it's the Jewish day is evening to evening, approximately 6 p.m. to 6 p.m., whereas the modern day would be 12 midnight until 12 midnight the next day. Secondly, we have the word hour. Now, the Hebrew word for hour is shawa. It means moment or twinkling of the eye. In terms of how many hours are in a day, Jesus sets the definition in John chapter 11, verse 9, where he says, quote, Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If a man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world, unquote. So, the Jewish Hebraic day consisted of twelve hours during the day and twelve hours during the night for a total of twenty-four hours. Thirdly, we have the word week which in Hebrew is Shaboah. It simply means seven. And we find the pattern for the week defined in Genesis, starting with Genesis 1-5, the first day, and moving through all the way to Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, with the final and seventh day of the week, referred to as the Sabbath. So, all told, according to the Bible, we have seven days of the week. Now, it's important to understand that in our modern mindset, we have designations for those days wherein we have labels describing which day, uh, such as Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and so forth, and repeating. However, those labels, it's important to remember, were not designated and or invented until uh, Roman times uh, and were given those titles after pagan deities. Whereas in the Hebrew mindset, the Jewish mindset, and even today an Orthodox mindset, uh, the days of the week would be referred to as the first day, the second day, third day, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh day, respectively. And the seventh day would be referred to as uh, Shabbat or Sabbath. Fourthly, we have the word month, which in Hebrew is Kodesh. And it simply equals or means the new moon. This is because the Jewish month, unlike our modern month, is based on the lunar cycle, of which is 29.5 days. Uh, each respective Jewish month will start uh, with the appearance of the new moon visible in the, in the evening or night sky, and each month alternates between 30 and 29 days, depending on the lunar cycle, and eventually equals to uh, 354 days in a year. And then on occasion, Adar the second is added by the calendar council every two to three years to correct and synchronize the calendar with the solar cycle. 
Now, the uh, authorization, if you will, uh, for this definition is given in Genesis 1-4, where it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, unquote. So, that is the basis for the definition and parameters of a Jewish Hebraic month. So the end result is that from the creation of all that was in Genesis 1-1, moving forward, God had what is referred to as a civil calendar, wherein the Jewish Hebraic year was configured using the hour, day, week, month, and year just previously discussed. And each month would ultimately be measured according to the appearance of the uh, cycle of the new moon appearing in the night sky as being observed by the high priest and or uh, appointed witnesses whose job it was to look for this new moon in the sky every month and then declare the beginning of the month. So... Progressive revelation continues, and we move forward until we get to the period of uh, Exodus, wherein God begins and continues his progressive revelation, giving further instruction revelation to the prophet Moses, who records various commandments given by God in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, regarding the issues of timing which will affect his redemptive plan. Now, at this point, you may be asking, uh, well, I'm familiar with all of the books that you gave earlier that with, with regard to eschatology, but what books are you talking about in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that have anything to do with the issue of eschatology? And in specific, answering the question, when... Will Jesus rapture his church? When will uh, the uh, great tribulation take place? When will uh, Jesus return as King of kings and Lord of lords? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's one of those subject matters, as I said, that has been overlooked and is in large part absent from the current and modern church as a result of the issues of replacement theology and so forth that we discussed earlier. So, at this point, we're going to ask you to open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 through 44, which are going to discuss what is referred to as the Jewish uh, feasts and festivals, God's appointed days, if you will, of his year. Now, in summary, before we start, I wish to propose four important aspects which need to be remembered as we're dealing with these feasts and festivals that we'll be looking at. Okay, so number one, all of the festivals are at the same time historical and at the same time they are prophetic regarding what Jesus as Messiah will do 
in his redemptive plan. Two, all of the festivals ultimately teach about Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth. Three, all of the festivals are agricultural in their context. Four, all of the festivals teach about, ultimately, a personal relationship with God, ranging from justification to glorification, or, in short, the ardo salutis of salvation. Further, by summary, we're going to see that this study that we are looking at ultimately comprises seven feasts or festivals which are appointed and commanded by God. The seven are as follows. Number one, Passover. Number two, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Three, the Feast of Firstfruits. Four, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Five, the Feast of Trumpets. Six, the Day of Atonement. And finally, seven, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, these seven are clearly commanded as things which the Jews, God's people, were to uh, celebrate and observe in specific ways at specific times uh, for the perpetuity of time. In other words, they weren't just a one-time event. They were commanded by God to be a celebrations which God's people were to uh, observe throughout time. So we're going to undertake looking at these subjects uh, through mainly Leviticus chapter 23, but we will also be seeing in Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and so forth. At this point, what I want you to do is just as an exercise to see uh, and measure, hopefully, the growth that we're going to see throughout this series is to pick a number from 1 to 10. So pick a number that ranges between 1 and 10 to fairly represent what you truthfully and sincerely believe to be your amount of knowledge and understanding with regard to this subject and make a mental note of it. And then by disclaimer, when we finish our series, I'm going to ask you what number represents the number which you now have at the conclusion of this series so as to be able to gauge how much progress, if any, that you've made. And hopefully, by the grace of God, this episode, by God's Holy Spirit, will produce fruit and you will have better understanding. For the time being, this concludes this episode. Please join me for the next. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. The, the world.